Good evening and welcome. To those of you that are here on spring break, it's good to see you hanging out in Michigan. For those that are watching online from their nice place in Florida, hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us from the beach. Um, we're going to have some fun, and even if we're not on the beach with them. Uh, so I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with these, but I was pondering these this last little bit. Uh, for those that know what these are, great. For those who don't, these are VR goggles. And if you're like, well, what's VR goggles? Virtual reality. The idea is that you can go cool places from your couch. And so tell it what it is that you want to see. Stick it your, your phone inside the thing, and it's got little deals that magnify it, and then you put them on. You look like an idiot. But in spite of the fact that you look like an idiot, you can see something that's not right here. And then when you turn your head, it turns what you see. And so it actually feels like or looks like you're somewhere else. And as they came out, they had some fun stuff like dinosaurs. You're like sitting there and all of a sudden there's a dinosaur right in front of you and, and you look up and you can see up it and down it and you're like, whoa, and its tail moves. And it's funny if you watch someone like put these on for the first time because they'll be like looking at a dinosaur and then its tail will come at them and they're like, ah! And you're like, just a phone. Uh, but they, they do a lot of stuff with the dinosaurs, roller coasters, um, under the sea adventures where you get to like, everyone wants to go under the sea, but we all struggle with this whole like breathing underwater thing. And so it's really cool because you can see something, but these create an illusion of a world that doesn't really exist. And so People react in funny ways. I watched some video clips of people failing with some of these and you found people like, like they're in a virtual reality, they're gonna jump out of a plane and so they jump and just like crash into stuff um, and like falling and running into things because they're so absorbed inside of a world that doesn't exist. In fact, th this thought really, oh, like this message is actually gonna be really simple but it's based on like two thoughts. Um, a problem and an answer. And I found the problem, actually a, a movie kind of introduced a problem that got me thinking. And then I found an answer in the Bible. I'm just gonna take you along with me on this, this journey. And the movie that kind of presented the problem kind of surrounded these. It's, it, it was supposed to be off sometime in the future and there'd been lots of problems. But, but as you, like even if you just watch the preview, the narrator sits here, he says, the world had all these bad things happen to it but people stopped trying to fix the problem and just started trying to outlive the problem. And it shows all these people that just escaped from reality as they'd gotten better VR goggles because these are not the best. Um, but they'd gotten really good goggles. They'd gotten really good gloves so you could feel what you felt in the, the virtual reality. And you had an entire society of people that were living in a fake world. They were living in this world because it, had a, it was filled with things that they wanted. It was filled with, with different things. In fact, the narrator sits here and he says, they come because of the things that they can do. They stay because of the things that they can be. And I, I begin to just ponder this idea of these people that were escaping all of their problems. They were escaping the life that they had and living in a world that was pretend, that was living in a world that was fake. And it was kind of 
shocking. I just kind of started pondering this and I'm like, man, that would be a temptation and that would be a problem if we had really good VR goggles that would literally allow you to experience anything and go anywhere. And then I got pondering, actually, we had another problem. Our TV broke, it died. Um, I, I paid nothing. Well, I, I could say I paid nothing or I paid a whole lot for it. It came with our house. So it was either a really expensive TV with a free house or a, free, a house with a free TV. But we, we, we saw the life of that TV come to a close and we ended up getting another one. And they have this like energy rating on the TV. And I look at this energy rating, they, they have, they're like, it's going to cost you like $8 to run your TV for the year. I'm like, oh, that's Okay. How much am I supposed to, like, how much do they figure you're going to run your TV? And so I'm looking at this. They're assuming that everyone watches five hours of TV a day. And I'm like, oh my word. Like, who has time for this? And I'm like, is this true? I'm like, oh, yes, this is like the whole family. And then I, so I looked it up. I'm like, how much TV does the average American watch? And they're like, the average American watches five hours and four minutes of TV a day. That's 35 and a half hours a week. That is almost full-time status that they spend watching TV. And I, I found a different study that was a little bit better. It said that we only watch four hours a day. And I'm like, far out. That's still a lot of TV. And why do people watch so much TV? Well, because they can go places. And I begin to realize that we watch TV um, sometimes because we're lazy, but that's another story. Um, but we watch TV because we want to win without putting in effort. And you watch a TV, and no matter what movie, what show you watch, there is a problem. And they're going to overcome this problem. And the problem could be a damsel in distress. The problem could be um, just interpersonal conflict. The problem could be someone needing to realize something about themselves. Some of us want to win by watching a team play sports. They're watching and you're like, well, who's your friend on the team? And they're like, I don't know any of them. But this guy's my favorite. So why do you care? And I'm not picking on everyone who loves sports. I'll pick on everybody else later. But this is the point. We're watching something that's actually disconnected for the sense of winning. And you'll watch people who don't know anybody on the basketball team. Right now is the NCAA championship and it's the March Madness and a lot of people who really, really care aren't here because they're watching it right now. Um, and thank you guys for those that came who still care or those that are watching on two different screens right now at home. Hello. Um, but... This is my point. You don't know anybody on, on the team, but if Michigan win, State wins tonight, there's a bunch of people that are going to be over there going, yeah, we won. Like, how is it we? You're like, do you know them? Some of, them? some of them can at least say they went to state, and so they're like, well, I went to state. And some of the others are like, I paid for a kid to go to state, so I'm a we. But so many of us get attached because we can play, we can win, vicariously. We can win and we can get involved and we can feel relieved because there was a grand problem that got solved. And a lot of these bigger movies are exciting because 
it's a, the, the bigger the problem that they're, that they're solving, that they're fixing, that they're saving someone from, the better you feel when we win. And you're like, well, how is it we? You just hit play. But nonetheless, we look and we get wrapped up in this like, like this matters. Like all of a sudden, this is now reality. And this is what we begin to, to look forward to. This is what we begin to, to live for. And I begin to, to look at this. And the Bible in Proverbs 27, 7 has something to say. It says um, that one who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, every bitter thing tastes sweet. And I begin to read this. I realize that if, if, if we're hungry, if we have a hole inside, everything looks good. And if, if we're looking and we're trying to fulfill something, if we're trying to win, all of a sudden we can put all of these different things in here, trying to fill, trying to substitute, trying to achieve, trying to, to do it, and we do it in a way that isn't real, and it can create problems, or it can um, often be used as an attempt to try to escape our problems. I was talking to a guy that I'm going to name Bob. His parents gave him a different name, but we'll name him Bob. Um, Bob was talking to me, and Bob was going through a mess. As I'm talking with Bob, he's talking about his marriage and, and things are a disaster. And we start talking just about what things look like. And he's like, you know, when I come home, I turn on the TV. And I sit there and I watch the TV because it's easier. Because the TV doesn't yell at me. The TV doesn't complain at me. The TV doesn't have this, and he just goes on and on on how the TV had become the escape to avoid the problems, to avoid it. And it had become the substitute that allowed, it was where he turned instead of, to, as a safe place from his problem, which allowed his problem to grow worse. And as I began to look at this, sorry, is this, is this common? I realized that, it, A, that it is, but, has anyone ever heard the phrase, like, you can't eat that because it might spoil your appetite, spoil your dinner? Anyone ever heard that before? And all the parents have said it. Um, my kids would love to spoil their appetite all the time. They want to snack constantly. We've like, literally had times where we just said, we cannot have snack food in the house. We cannot have snacks. Because if you snack, you want to snack constantly. Then when it's time to eat their meal, they're like, oh, I'm not hungry. That one has a vegetable on it. And then you're like, all right, lunch is over, dinner's over. Like, oh, oh, I'm starving. What's it for snack? Like, no, no, you're a vegetable. Oh, I'm not that hungry. Like, what is this? Where, where they've become so addicted to the substitute that has no nutritional value that they'll spend all of their time with the substitute and even when it's actually eroding their health. And I begin to look and go, okay, so, so in life, Bob got addicted to a substitute, even though the substitute had no nutritional value that was ever going to solve his problem, and it was beginning to take him in the wrong direction. And as I began to look at this, discovered that the TV is not the only substitute that people go to to try to disconnect, that people go to to find significance, because we are hardwired for significance. We are hardwired to matter. 
And if we don't feel that we matter, we'll look for significance or try to drown the emptiness or become self-absorbed. But we'll do one of them. And as I begin to look, I realize that some people substitute with just zoning out and trying to live their life through someone's accomplishments or someone's humor in the TV. But others look for it in alcohol, pornography, food, projects, TV, video games, mind-numbing activity, accomplishments at their job. Some of them, it's through um, just through rigorous exercise. It's different things that, that may not even be a bad thing. Some of them actually may be good things, but they become everything. And all of a sudden, they become their world. And it becomes what they're living for. And I begin to, to be shocked. And I discovered that if you get addicted, you can actually get addicted to the substitute to the point that you will not accept the real thing. I know that my, it'll happen with my kids if I let them have junk food. There was a scientist who decided to test this with rats. And so he had some rats. He, he separated two bunch of rats and he gave the one healthy food. And they were healthy. Surprise, surprise. Well, he gave the others junk food. Like the best that hostess had to offer. And little Debbie and bacon and just loads of junk. And to no surprise, those rats got excessively fat. Um, but so after they've been like living on this super high sugar, high fat diet, he took that away and put forward healthy food and the rats starved themselves because they had become so addicted to the substitute that they missed or wouldn't even take the real thing. So I, I was pondering this and this is, this is the problem. So we're just gonna set the problem over here, okay? We'll come back to that. I was reading my Bible this week and I read something I have read a lot of times. I can't tell you how many times. I've preached it. I have heard other people preach it time and time again, but I read it and I saw something different than I have ever seen. So how many of you guys have ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes? Ever heard of it? Okay. Most of us have heard of it. If you haven't, it's one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And I was going through this and I was reading, I, I was reading in Luke. And as, as I went through this, I'm going to read you a section and <coughs> I'll show you my, what I found. It says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, great is your reward in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, who have received your uh, consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people all speak well of you, so their fathers did to the false prophets. Okay, so... He goes through this whole list of like, blessed are these people. And then he's like, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or for their reward is great. And, and then he, it goes through. And all of my life, I have read this and I have like stopped and like zoomed in and like tried to diagnose every single part 
of what Jesus said. And I'm like, I'm gonna like get everything out of this. And I'm like, why is the poor blessed? And I'm like, I'm like digging into it. And then it's like, why is this thing good? And, th- and that's a good thing to do. Like, don't get me wrong on this. But this time I read it and I zoomed out. And I realized I had missed the whole point. I got lost in his illustrations and missed what Jesus was saying. I went back through and was like, He's saying, right now is not what matters. Eternity is. He goes, they are living in a position right now that is not fun, that is not comfortable. But that's okay because right now is not what matters. He goes through this whole list and he's like, you know, this is, this is rough. This is, he's like, they're poor. They're, being poor isn't fun. Let's be real. No one likes to sit here and go, can I get food today? I don't know. I don't know if I have any money. Oh, where am I going to live? I don't know. I don't have money for rent. Like, that's not fun. But he's going through this and he's going, right now isn't what matters. He goes through this and he he says this. He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Who thinks that sounds like fun? Like, I'm reading this, I'm like, that does not sound like fun. We have a different definition of fun. This is not good. This is bad. When people hate you, when they spurn, when they use you, you are an insult. It's like, ooh, you're a Daniel. Like, what? what? Like, I'm like, apparently, you have a different measuring stick than I do. Because you're calling them blessed when I would call that very unblessed. So what measuring stick are you using? Because I have said that I'm following you. So I want to lay aside my measuring stick and pick up yours. And so I, I begin to look and he's going, he, he ends this going, you know, blessed are you because this is what you have in heaven. And when he says, woe to those who have all these things, he says that they have received their consolation, that they have received all that they're going to get for that because they're just living for the moment. And it took me back to this movie where these people are living for something that lasts only inside of the game, only inside of a world that doesn't even exist, only inside of that which is very temporary and empty. And I begin to look and go, okay, so, so he's telling me that I am not supposed to live inside of this, that I am supposed to live looking for to eternity. Pastor Duane was teaching this morning and he, he said, the world tries to make it that your Christianity is peripheral, that it's off to the side and that it doesn't really matter, while this is what matters and all that they have to offer is the peripheral. And I begin to, and it was just, I didn't talk to him about what he was speaking on this morning. But this is what God put on my heart. I tried, actually, I didn't want to speak this message. It was on my heart. But I'm like, ah, it kind of reminds me of something I did before. I want to do something different. I wrote a different message. And then God was like, this is what's on your heart. I'm like, okay. And then this is what pastor spoke on a bit this morning. And I began to look at it going, okay, what is, what is it supposed to look like? Because he lays this out and says, you're supposed to be living for eternity. Blessed is the person who's not worried about what it is right now, but who's living for what it's going to be in eternity. And and time and time again, our Bible tells us 
Jesus says, he's going to return like a thief. He says, be ready because Jesus is going to return and you don't know when. And he paints this picture that right now isn't what you're supposed to be living for. He goes, live because you're going to stand before Jesus. What is it going to look like when you stand in front of him? What do you want to have done when you stand in front of him? He sits here and he tells another parable in Mark chapter 13. And he says that blessed is the servant who the master finds doing what he asked. He talks about a servant who sees that his master is delayed in coming and becomes selfish and begins to mistreat other people and begins to indulge on himself. And he says that when the master comes back, that servant will be thrown out. And I begin to look and go, okay, so over and over, you paint this picture that my eyes are not supposed to be on right now. And it, it's this very practical application Live like Jesus is coming back at any second. Live like you're going to give an account for your life in front of millions of people tomorrow. If I told you that tomorrow you're going to die, you have 24 hours and you're going to stand in front of Jesus, what would you want to do? Most of us would be very intentional with the next 24 hours. Because we're living knowing that we're stepping into eternity. You're gonna go, oh, I'm going to value what Jesus values. I'm gonna value people. Jesus says, uh, or Hebrews 12 says this, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He goes, look to Jesus. He goes, this is where your focus is supposed to be. And this is awesome. We live not only in a society that's, that's stuck inside a virtual reality, stuck living for things that don't even matter, but we also have a society that is instant gratification. I would like to harass culture, but I cannot do it without harassing myself. Yesterday or Friday, one of the two, I'm in the, in the kitchen with my wife. We're having a conversation about how long does it take to cook a potato in the microwave? And we decided it took too long and cooked something else. <laughs> when you complain because a microwave isn't fast enough, you know you're living in a society that is used to instant gratification. And my, what matters is not how long I wait for dinner, but when your worldview is shaped by the definition of success being in the moment, it becomes an issue. You go back a thousand years, they lived differently. They thought differently. We are very much now, 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 now. And it's also very much me, 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 me. You go back, they lived knowing that they were just part of things and that their life was a small part of it. I got looking. Um, can you put up a picture of the York Minister Cathedral? So I looked this place up. This place is beautiful. It's huge. Next picture. Uh, there's, there's the front. Next. It's huge. It's beautiful. Next one. I think my favorite one is just inside. I'm like, this place is gorgeous. How long do you think it took them to build it? 
252 years. That means if you started building this, if you were the guy who drew up these plans, like this is what we're going to do, your great grandkids wouldn't see it finished. I got thinking about this in like 252 years. I'm like, how do I wrap my mind? Like it's an easy number to throw out there, but I'm like, do you realize that they signed the Declaration of Independence 243 years ago? They were committed to something. They were a part of something and they were going, I'm a part of something and my kids, 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 kids might get a chance to finish what I'm gonna start. But what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna live for is bigger than me. And they had this big picture thinking. They're going, that I am just, what I'm going to do is a part. I'm gonna play a part in this grand picture. And they're, they're living for something and they're planning for something that's so much bigger than them. And I, and I, was, I was pondering this, I was thinking about this, and I went through and I was, I was reading, in, <clears throat> still in, in Luke. In fact, it was just before this, in Luke. And I, there was a, I was reading my translator's New Testament and there was a note when they came up to John and they said, are you the one? I'm like, are you the one? I'm like, what is this? Note. So I went back there I'm like, why do I need to know this if you're translating this? I'm not translating it, but I'm curious about your notes. So I went back. And it, and it says, this was a common phrase as they were looking forward to the Messiah. I'm like, okay, so you, this is a common phrase. Are you the one? When did they have this promise? I'm like, oh, well, it depends which promise, because there's a bunch of promises about the Messiah. The most recent one that we have in our Bible is several hundred years previous. The first one was thousands of years prior. But yet, this promise has been around for hundreds of years, but you're looking around going, are you the one? Are you the one? I'm looking for the one. I'm like, holy cow. Like, we are so used to, well, they said it was going to happen, and it hasn't happened since yesterday. And I I just like, it it blew my mind. I'm like, okay, so so if, if, if I take my eyes out of this and I begin to live for something beyond right now, what does it look like? And I was pondering this and I had some different illustrations and then I walked through the hallway and I saw Victor Mansfield. If you don't know Victor, I'm sorry. And if you know Victor, you are blessed. Victor is amazing. And I, I, I've, I get the privilege here of working in several different departments. Victor is like a rock star volunteer in most of them. You go over there and you're in this department, they're like, one of our most faithful volunteers is Victor. And he makes this service happen. And Victor loves on these kids and he's doing this, 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 and this. And you walk over to another spot and they're like, you know what, who's one of you? Like, most faithful volunteers, Victor. Victor is awesome. And Victor does this and Victor helps out at this service. And then come over here and they're like, Victor, how many places can Victor be? And then I leave church and I went to a banquet for... Uh, for the sponsorship program for these kids in Bangladesh. And they're like, we just want to be thankful for this one guy who doesn't know we're going to say this, but Victor! And they start talking about Victor and all the kids that he supports and all the stuff that he's doing. And you look and you talk to people and they're like, how does Victor do this? Why does Victor do this? Why does Victor serve at three different services in three different apartments? And why does he serve at this ministry? And why does Victor do all this? Why would he use so much time and so much effort and so much money in order to to do all this? Because Victor isn't wearing these. 
Because Victor says, I am not spending, I'm investing. Because those lives matter to Jesus. So they matter to me. So I'm going to love them like I'd love him. Someday, he's going to look at me and say, as you did to the least of these, you did to me. Victor is awesome. But I begin to think about this. Most of us could sit down and make a list of things that matter. But most of us spend a lot of our time living for things that wouldn't make that list. We look and I begin to just write down some simple things. You know, we've all heard that how we treat the least of these matters. That Jesus says that how you treated the least of these is how you treated me. We've heard Jesus elevate widows and orphans and children. He said that we're to serve, we're to follow his example and serve. We know that we're supposed to um, value our spouse and our kids more than work. That we know we should be spending time with God daily. We know we should be spending time in our Bible and praying. We know the Bible says to tithe. We know that people matter to God. But most of us could look back at that list and say there's a lot that should change. There's a lot that I'm not living like it matters. I'm, I'm, I've been too concerned with things in here that don't even really matter. Maybe it's, it's actually digital stuff. Maybe it's your golf score. Maybe it's how big of a deer you shot. Maybe it's how many shoes you have in the closet. There's just so many things. I talked to my friend, Ted. I asked Ted, he told me I could share this. 10 years ago, Ted had a minor um, heart attack. And he went to the doctor and they caught things and they put a stint in and they said, Ted, you need to make some changes. And Ted's like, I would like to live. Thank you very much. I'm gonna make some changes. And he did. He changed what he was eating. He changed what he was doing. He dropped a whole bunch of weight. And there was like a blockage that they went around with the stint. And then there were some other issues in around his heart that they're like, we might have to go back in for some of this. And when he made all these changes, it cleared them up. And it was awesome. <clears throat> well, as time went on, these are things that he knew and he changed, but he knew they were important, but it was easy to let different things slip. And it's not like one donut is going to kill you. <clears throat> and so as, as time went on, different things just begin to slip and it wasn't a big deal. Well, until it was. This week, he just had, um, I just I was texting him this afternoon as he's in the hospital and he just had a quadruple bypass on his heart because though he knew many of the right things, his focus kind of got off them and he began to slip in the practice and it didn't seem like it mattered until it did. And we are so grateful they were able to catch things with a minor one. They opened him up. Surgery went really well. He's doing awesome. And he is committed to making change and making it last. Because we want to keep him for a long time. Ted is awesome. Ted, if you're watching online, you're awesome. All right, so 
But I, I thought about this because it doesn't seem like it matters until it does. We, in life, with your heart, sure, you might, like he had literally had a heart attack that was enough to get his attention, but minor enough that he's still alive to give him a chance to change. But do you realize that the way that we live our life, it doesn't seem like it matters until it matters, but when it matters, it's too late to change it? When you're standing in front of God, isn't the time to go, you know, I really should have been loving to people. You know, I should have been such a butt towards my spouse. You know, being right isn't more important than people. I should have loved my spouse above winning an argument. You know, I should have actually spent time with my kids and not just tried to achieve something to make me feel better about myself at work. You know, I should have shared Jesus with my neighbor instead of just complaining about my neighbor. You know, I, because when you're standing in front of him, Jesus, it's too late to go back and fix all of those different things. Now is the time to go, okay, right now, it matters. Right now, I want to live for something different. See, <clears throat> most of us, okay, maybe, maybe not most. Okay, when I was little, I gave my life to Jesus. And I've heard, I've literally heard thousands of altar calls where people give an opportunity to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Now, Lord is not God's first name. Lord is a position, not a title. It is not like, it's not, it's not his name. It is a position. Lord is boss, master. But when we make so often when we, we start this out and we go, you know what, God, I, I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna make you Lord of my life. We think this is a decision that we are gonna make and then it's done. And then we look back and someone's like, hey, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? And you're like, yeah, I said a prayer at kids camp when I was a little guy. I made him Lord. This is my phone. My phone has a GPS. I'm going to illustrate this. We're, we're not leaving that. We're coming right back to it. It is common to get in my phone not yesterday, Friday, Friday. I went on a date with my wife. We went and watched a student do a play in uh, Muskegon. I never go out to Muskegon, so we get out there, we type in the address in my phone, it tells us where, and then we're going to come back and say, like, okay, Google, take me home. And hope, oh, cancel. It knows my voice. All right. All right. <laughs> it's wanting to take me places, but this is what it's supposed to do. I stick it up on my dash, and then it starts to give me instructions. Now, <clears throat> have I asked it to take me somewhere? Yes. Will it tell me how to get there? Does it make me do it? No, in fact, it got mad at me because I, I obeyed it for most of the way. And then while we were driving at one point, we got close enough to home that I know where I'm at, I know things, and I decided to take a different route than what it had in mind for me. And so it decided to let me know and to complain and to beep and then to, you can turn, no, I recalculating. Um, this is the point. 
you have to keep choosing to follow its instructions. You can choose and say, I'm going to let you guide me. But at every turn, you have to decide, will I do what you say? Is that fair? When you give your life to Jesus, you say, I'm going to make you Lord. It's like saying, I'm going to make you the boss. You can direct my life. And we stick it up on the dash of our life. And what most of us want is for God to get in the driver's seat. We're like, all right, I'll sit over here and you just like take over. We want it to be like I made a one-time decision so now everything else should fall into place. But this is what Jesus said. If any man wants to come after me, he must renounce himself and take up his cross each day and follow me. He goes, every day at every turn, you're gonna have to decide who's gonna be the boss. He goes, are you gonna live for me? Are you gonna live for eternity? Are you gonna let me be the master of your life? Because if you're not careful, you turn this on, you say, guide me. And then you put this on and you go, wow, well, that looks cool. That's pretty. That's fun. And we begin to ignore. We begin to slip back into things. And it doesn't seem like it matters until it does. And so as I begin to read this, I begin to challenge myself going, okay, God, have I gotten distracted? Am I living for what matters? Are my eyes on you? Or have my eyes got on right now? Have my eyes got on just what's convenient? What's entertaining? What's fun? Because I'm not against having fun. But God, Am I living today the way that I want to give an account for it? Am I loving my neighbor the way that I would love him when you're going to stand in front of me and say, this is the least of these? Am I treating this child like I want to treat them when you're going to look at me and say, that's my child? Am I treating, am I loving my wife like I want to love her when you're going to look at me and say, that's my daughter? And I begin to ask myself, And I want to challenge you and ask you. It doesn't matter till it matters. Doesn't seem to, at least. How are you living? Are you following? Some of you guys are going, ah, I made him Lord. Not as a one-time decision when I was in, at kids camp, but no, every day. Some go, you know what? I got distracted. I'm living for me. Sometimes it's, it's, I'm just, there's so much of my life that won't matter in 100 years. So much of what I'm doing, it's just gone. It's done. I want to challenge you to live for eternity. You get one shot at this and then we stand in front of the Lord. And if you're here and you're not ready for that, I want to give you an opportunity to make him your Lord. If you say, you know what, I've made him my Lord, then I want to challenge you. 
to love, to live like you're going to give an account for him, to him tomorrow. Because when we live for eternity, we can see God's will done here as it is in heaven. Can everyone bow your heads, close your eyes? <clears throat> Today, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you want to say not just a decision, a prayer, but a, but a decision to honor him and to live for him each day. Then I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand. I see your hand. Who else is? That's me. I see your hand. And your hand. Awesome. All right. We're going to do what the Bible says, and we're going to call on his name. So go ahead and join me. Whether you raised your hand or you've done this before, say, God, God. thank you you. for loving me, me. even when I make mistakes. mistakes. I want to live for you you. every day. day. I believe believe. that you died died. and rose again. again. I make you the Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Give them a really big hand.